With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your source for big gun talk. It's off tackle. Empire! This is episode six of the Blocking Charge Cast, heading into the preview of the Thanksgiving tournaments, the recap of the first couple of weeks of Big Ten basketball, and a reevaluation of what we thought we knew and what we thought we didn't know. Based on early season results, we will determine if we need to recalibrate expectations for anyone, if we can start demanding firings of coaches who achieve certain program milestones. No, no idea who we'd be talking about there in particular. Joining me now tonight is Stu Monkey 13, our Iowa correspondent. Stu, what's the word? Fight, fight, fight for Iowa? Maybe? We'll see. I'm not sure how much uh, fight I want to put into this uh, Iowa basketball team right now. We'll, we'll find out. So, yeah, so there's, there's certainly one result for Iowa that kind of stands out. And we can just start there. I mean, I we go based off of a little bit of an outline, but it's not like... Anybody really demands that we talk about Northwestern basketball first, for example. So <laughs> Iowa is one of the these teams that's kind of in the middle of a conference where you do have a mixed bag of results. The Obviously, the, the cause for pessimism here is what happened against DePaul in the Gavit games. And granted, I don't think anyone expected that from that game, but probably in either direction. I don't think anyone expected Iowa to look quite that powerless. And I don't think anybody expected DePaul to look that good, but... This is a DePaul roster that has a lot more talent than it did recently. I mean, they, they have a player on their team that they actually beat Michigan State to get, a guy out of the Detroit area, Romeo Weems, who, watching the play, I was sure when I tuned in, like, he's going to be their best player by a mile, but he might have been their third or fourth best guy. I mean, they I have... say third-ish. Charlie Moore is the real deal. I mean, Iowa was in on him, recruiting him pretty hard, and then just kind of... Uh, gave up recruiting him. Uh, Iowa and Illinois were, and I think Michigan maybe, um, about the same year that uh, Xavier Simpson. Yeah, yeah he's he he's a name that I remember. And uh, that Reed kid will recruit. Too, yeah. Um, which is, you know, it, it's interesting. Like a program like DePaul being close to Chicago, you would think would periodically have access to greater talent. But of course, we all know the rumors about Chicago recruiting. Um, I don't think Charlie Moore was from around there, was he? Oh, yeah, no. Charlie Moore, he's a Chicago guy, yeah. Um, No, DePaul seems to have gotten back into that game, so to speak. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Big Ten fans may remember uh, Jalen Coleman-Lands. Oh, yes. Incredible borderline five-star player, freshman at uh, Illinois a few years back. Yes, sir. He's on DePaul back again, and he is still just as good. They are a they pretty talented team. But again, baseline there is quite a bit different. Like, it's still just a ball. They did finish, like, bottom of the Big East. They're still not expected to be top half of the Big East. The maybe, no, they're yeah, I probably mean, still going to be still means bubble-ish team. 
Right. Although this game certainly helps their tournament profile. I, I think Iowa probably at the end of the year is still going to be a quadrant one win at worst quadrant two. So there's their, you know, their bubble resume is certainly going to be bolstered by this. Uh, anyway, we're not at the Paul blog here, so let's. <laughs> no, although, you know, they're, it's they're I don't mind good. going, I don't mind going into him because they actually play in Minnesota fairly soon. Uh, oh, and... That's right, because uh, <laughs> Minnesota has apparently a brutal, like Minnesota and Iowa, borderline not great teams who decided to put in incredibly hard conference schedule or non-conference schedules for some yeah. reason. Yeah, a couple of programs that are banking on substantial improvement through conference play is kind of how I'm reading that because, it, man, Minnesota really might have scheduled themselves out of the NIT. I mean, they've already taken losses to Utah, to Butler, to Oklahoma. These are wins that would have looked really good on a resume, along with anything they can scratch together in the conference. But they still have, like I said, they still play DePaul. They still got Oklahoma State. It, they could easily have five, six losses going into conference play. And that's this is not a Minnesota team that was going to have a whole lot of cushion if the goal was to get right back to the tournament. So I guess it, I assume with yeah, the extension I think, I think they gave at them. At this point, the tournament's out. Yeah. Ooh, that's right. A uh, little, little Ricky got that extension last uh, last year. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. he, made the tur- he made the tournament and, and won a game and knocked out, of all people, Louisville. So, um, you know, obviously the, the Papa angle is interesting there, but um, that was enough enough reason to extend him. Although, as we mentioned in the preview segments about Minnesota, well, I mean, this answer is resolved. I mean, their best player by a mile is Daniel Oturu, but the thing is... Right, yeah, it, he he's, can't he's stay out of the- trouble. Yeah, there's that. That's that's the part of his game which hasn't improved, which is a big issue. I mean, if he was the same version of himself plus, you know, 10% and he could stay on the floor more, that would be more useful for Minnesota than, I mean, he's taken a pretty big step forward. But if he's only able to play 25 minutes a night because of foul trouble, the, I mean, it may end up kind of being a wash. And the other thing is, you know, Cal Shower has really not looked all that well adapted to his new role yet. Other guys like Omersa has a lot of trouble with staying on the floor as well. He's had foul trouble a couple times. So, um, well, that, yeah. When you get to conference play, um, there are going to be guys who can guard a two or one on one that don't exist in non-con play. So, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, put him up against this off of there. Put him up against a John Teske, a Xavier Tillman, um, even a Caleb Wesson, who's not great defensively but is better this year, um, and he's, he's going to have body. trouble. Yeah, well, yeah, and these are all, they're guys who can draw fouls, too. So, yeah, it's, they're going to need more than what Oturu's improved. And he's, again, you got to give the guy credit because he's better, certainly, than he was last year. But I don't know if he's quite enough to carry that team by himself. And, you know, we we counted on more, I think, from Kalshauer, more from Marcus Carr. It just hasn't been there yet. Now, it's early. I mean, Again, the way that they scheduled makes me think they were confident they were going to improve over the course of the year because they tested themselves frequently. And the other thing is, it does look like even Minnesota is going to be able to count on some wins from the bottom of the conference. So where to begin in our triad of misery here? And it's you know kind of funny that honestly, these are probably three of the more miserable fan bases from the football perspective as well. Although I would throw Michigan State's hat in that ring, but in any case, we'll... We'll begin with for uh, a reason. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, it, you know. <laughs> well, so we'll segue into this briefly. I mean, D'Antonio 
it, he said he intends to be at MSU next year. So he's basically saying, if I'm gone, it's because the school fires me. And everybody well, knows that was, never, that was never going to happen. Right now. Yeah, that was never going to happen. Um, but he mentioned that his father, his late father, told him to complete circles and, and stuff like that, which complete is, you know, the circle. complete the circle, which I, I kind of hope that he realizes if you if you complete a circle, you kind of end up back where you started. And where MSU was yeah, when was he say, started, the... <laughs> three and nine with basically no talent on the roster. Um, so in that way, I kind of hope maybe the polygon he completes is a slightly different shape. That's all I would say about that. Um, let's talk about a happier subject. Nebraska ball. Uh, they got <laughs> washed at Bring home in Omeda. By UC Riverside. That's the Ken Palm number 263 as of yesterday. I haven't checked to see if that updated today. They also lost at home to Southern Utah. That at least, that's a better team on paper. Although, again, this early in the year, the Ken Palm rankings can be a little bit funny. Um, But, man, it's... uh, Yeah, but, like, really, anything lower than 200. Yeah, that's... I mean, you're talking... there. I mean, there are entire conferences where... The first, just you, what you, the best frame of reference I always have for thinking about what these sub 200 teams are is that most of them are the bulk of the one bid conferences. And when you see those first rounds of a tournament where, you know, with one very hilarious exception on Virginia's part, <laughs> it's always a bloodbath. I mean, once in a great while, you get a 15 upsetting a two. Not that I want to think about that either. Um, <laughs> Yeah, those teams are the champions of their leagues, very often having won both the regular season and the conference tournament to get there. Um, they're by far the best of the teams that they play against. Sub-250 teams are like the teams in the bottom half of the table in those leagues, and that's who that's the kind of team that, again, Nebraska got the outright loss to UC Riverside. They've got the loss to Southern Home. These are both home games, too, because this is the part of your schedule. Like, you're not going to any of these places. They come They come to you. <laughs> and it, well, for all... like Nebraska has a, a pretty good home court advantage. Like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Since they opened that new building, that place is packed every night. It, yeah, the I'm, bowling center is pretty good. I'm, never, I'm always floored when, even with Nebraska football games, like, that, that building is still packed for football, too. You... Whatever you want to say about Nebraska fans, they show up, and it's just... Insert joke early. about what else to do in Nebraska. Well, yeah, I mean, with, with I'd no... i say from you know, Iowa. <laughs> well, you at least. <laughs> there's Topping Goliath, you're close to Chicago, uh, and having driven through all of your state to get to Lincoln last year, because I made the great choice to go to that football game, too. I think my real game is better. I was going to do Iowa next year, and now I'm kind of thinking twice about it. Uh, (laughs) Although, if I skip it, it'll be another decade before playing Kinnick again. Um, In any case, yeah, well, we got to have our annual football game against Rutgers, our most hated rival. So... (laughs) Having driven through both states, I can say Iowa was interesting one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Because that really trickles down to the fan experience in a meaningful way. Uh, But yeah, for look for Nebraska, this I mean, most people thought this is how this was going to look. There was maybe brief cause for optimism when you look at their roster on paper and see there's plenty of talent there. It's just like the piece, these pieces do not fit yet, and they probably will more so over the course of the season. But 
I think for Nebraska fans, your position here is very much the same thing it was. It is with Scott Frost um, last year, though, when you when you, you the slate is clean, you're giving him as long of a leash as you possibly can, with the understanding that this ain't going to be a great situation right off the bat, most likely. Yeah. Well, one of the fun things there is that like Doc Sadler is an assistant coach to. Yeah. Who was? Yeah, it's weird the most successful coach in Nebraska or, or one of the most successful coaches in Nebraska basketball history. That's kind of just an odd situation, but I think he's either, he's either recruiter bored or he needs the money. It, I mean, I'm a little surprised that a former big 10 coach, I think he did have at least one more coaching stop after Nebraska doc Sadler, but I, I just wonder uh, like, I know he was an assistant at I under Hoiberg at Iowa state. Okay. So All right. There's your connection to Hoiberg. Yeah, I was thinking he might have had another head job somewhere, but maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. But in any case, it is kind of a weird situation. What I'm waiting for, of course, is when Tim Miles ends up covering a Nebraska game uh, from the booth, and we get oh, like, he's going to get a standing week. ovation. They still love him over there, as they should. I mean, he's a, he's a lovable guy. I I understand why yeah. they felt they needed to fire him. And if they hadn't, I don't think that they'd be in a much different situation than they are now. Cause like really what, what was coming back on that team? Like they, they had everything lined up. I guess maybe you could squint at it and say, if he's still the coach there, does Isaiah Roby consider coming back? I don't know. Um, it wasn't going to be a good oh, season no, this year. I mean, anyway. Miles had a, bunch of turnover during his tenure there too like oh yeah yeah turning over what three four players every year well yeah and i you know we've had a couple marquette games and ed morrow left early yeah right and yeah these guys are out there and it's not like they're you know guys totally without talent jordy shimunga um i just saw i think is he at dayton now I don't remember. I, I saw his name come up recently in a game I flipped through for a minute yeah. as well. But yeah, like these are talented guys that have made impact right away, and then just he couldn't get them to adhere. And as you said, like I, Lincoln's not for everybody, I guess. But um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a minute before Nebraska puts this together. Um, and then you know, I still think Harbaugh or uh, Hoiberg's a good enough coach that they'll knock off some, they'll get something together and. So he uh, be a little bit more cohesive and knock off some. Oh yeah, that, I mean, angry about it, but that happens yeah. every season, like without exception. Um, oh, even yeah. the even the bottom of the Big Ten, like you know, we'll we'll pivot to Northwestern. By the way, you know, um, I don't know if this has changed since their loss, since they got just rocked by Radford, but. As of yesterday, they were still a top 100 team in Ken Palm. So, notwithstanding the that, fact that they're completely, you know, gotten completely, you know, lambasted this year so far, um, they're still a well-regarded team by some objective metrics. That being said, I mean, Northwestern, what are you doing, baby? Uh, <laughs> lost at home to Merrimack, which is your Ken Palm 269. And when I say lost, it's not like they had a nail biter. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it, it's not like it was close. I mean, they got beat by ten at home. Did not it, Merrimack was the better team substantially so, and then yeah. yesterday doubled down on that result for Radford, a team that's much better. I think, I think they're yeah, yes, and you know they're 
I think Radford is like the Ken Palm one thirty something. Like they're much better. They're they're a decent team, but it's still Radford, man. Like you gotta be if if you hope to keep your head above water in the Big Ten, if you hope to be in the game in the second half more than once every five games or so in the Big Ten, you gotta be a lot better than this, man. And they just aren't. And it it's as you said, the offense remains a serious problem here. I mean, I I think about halfway through the second half of that game with Radford, I flipped on the flip to the box score because I was curious. And at that point they were something like three for 14 from three. I'm fairly sure they had more turnovers than assists. Like it just, no part of this is working. And I don't know, like, is there really an outcome to the season? Pretty good. Yeah. Is it <laughs> like, like he can't be like, Nance is still pretty like, and I don't know, like he's a good player. They have individual pieces where you would look yeah. at it and you think this they should be better than this, but it just for some reason they don't have. I don't know if it's because they lack that specific glue guy or if it's just a, a group of pieces that don't fit together that well. I mean, their ball handling well, remains. They've also had some. They've also had quite a bit of turnover of some pretty talented pe- players, like some players that are. Uh, I mean, they went down a, a a level in conference, but they're like leading their teams to NCAA tournaments for the first yeah, time. Yeah, Evan Oscus was the Patriot League player of the yeah. year last year, wasn't he? So do you think yeah. they might he might help with this team? A guy who can create his own shot, a versatile forward? Yeah, that's the kind of thing that this team doesn't have right now, and they need it badly. Uh, I mean, they, they were bad enough last year when they had Vic Law and Derek Pardon, and now they don't have those guys. And it the thing that happens with – so look, like the modern version of college basketball – Every team has turnover. Every team has guys that leave with a handful of exceptions. But if you're going to stay afloat, you have to continually draw in enough talent to maintain a baseline level of it. You know, if you lose one or two talented players in a cycle like Nebraska did a few years ago, like Northwestern has more recently, and you're not replacing those guys with comparable players, then your talent level dips pretty quick because there's two basketball is too short of a roster to hide that kind of loss. And that, that really, I think is the easiest way to describe how Nebraska Northwestern got to where they are. Development seems to be more immediate than in like football where you can redshirt a guy. And by the time he's a redshirt senior, two star doesn't matter as much as three star or whatever. You can develop those guys. Oh, yeah. And that is much harder to do in basketball. And yeah. Of, and I mean, like, athletes, man. The, the Bull Ryan Wisconsin is pretty much the only example I can think of. I mean, you could maybe you could say Texas Tech, what Chris Beard is doing now, or Villanova. But well, I mean, Villanova doesn't guys, really register like, on many guys. And yeah, and Villanova's still got plenty of top no, but 100. They're still recruits. bringing in three, four, yeah, four star guys. Like, I mean, a lot of Wisconsin's run when they were going to those final fours was, I mean, high three, like, uh, yeah, I mean, Sam Decker was a five base. star. Koenig was yeah. a four star. I think, star. Uh, I think Cap and uh, Hayes was a four star. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. It, yeah, they're not growing these guys out of, you know, clods of dirt. I mean, earlier they had some guys who they really did sort of develop out of nowhere, but um, no, when they hit their peak there, it was because they had a higher baseline level of talent to work with and had guys that stayed multiple years. I mean, you know, Kaminsky didn't really do anything his first three years on campus. So um, anyway, enough uh, reminiscing about the the wonders of the Bull Ryan era. 
Um, the last team that I think you can kind of put in this uh, <laughs> is, yeah. Uh, I wonder what he's up to now. Now, you know what? I don't care. I don't know. I don't care what he's up to. Um, uh, you don't, you probably don't want to know. It involves. Uh, gross. Bro. And... <laughs> <laughs> so Rutgers narrowly escaped Bryant at home. That's Ken Palm 287. And they lost outright to St. Bonaventure, which better team on you know, the in the metric than they are in the record column. Um, yeah, so if you're going to get tagged by the Bonnies, I guess you want that to happen early. It's not the worst loss they could have sustained in a non-conference, but they've had a couple other close shaves against some pretty terrible competition. I mean, they had to sweat it out against Drexel. Um, they, I saw they beat Stephen F. Austin tonight, but I don't know by exactly, I don't know how the flow of that game went. Um I don't know if I would say they're out of the woods yet. I mean, they're, they are not going to be participating in any of the major Thanksgiving tournaments. So we're not going to see them against a higher profile team anytime soon. I don't believe. Um, See, I guess the jury will kind of be out on them. I mean, they're still, they're still getting, I think McConnell was their leading scorer tonight. They still have a number of different options that they can get decent contributions out of, but I'm going to have to leave the jury out for a bit on Rutgers for a bit. Well, they they also like they lost their best player from last year's team who transferred. But yeah. Like, at the same time, Ron Harper's Ron Harper Jr. is still there, and they've got guys who can make plays. Or right. Should and so, be able to make plays anyway. And so, if they're going to come out of this, you you figure that that's the reason why. Because yeah, if if Gino Marui transfers and you don't have guys like Baker and Mathis behind him, then you're in a real world of hurt. Um, yeah, so it's they're in a slightly better position with their depth and the way they built their program the last couple of years that they may be able to withstand losing Omarui. I guess we'll find out. Um, they've still had a couple stretches offensively where uh, it is difficult to watch, but they're far from the only team that that's been the case. So moving a little further up in the conference positioning, um, Penn State has actually been kind of a pleasant surprise so far this year. Now, not against anybody that'll impress you necessarily. Um, but they may have found a compliment to Lamar Stevens and Myron Jones. Um, the guy who's been a nice scoring compliment, certainly um, they beat Georgetown and they just picked up a win to go over buck. Now they're going to have a couple more decent caliber opponents coming up here. Um, I believe they play Ole Miss. They've got a game coming up. I looked this up and I lost it. Um, I know they've got Ole Miss coming next week, though, and that'll be an interesting matchup. Um, the one thing I guess you could say, oh, yeah, and Yale is the other team that they've got, um, a pretty good team out of the Ivy League. So we'll find out next week, I guess, if Penn State's seeming improvement is for real or if they've kind of been feasting on a slightly more vulnerable schedule at this point. Well, it might be a bit of both. Uh, I think they're probably better than they were last year. I think, I don't know. I always, I, I always see happen to catch Mike Watkins when he's on, having one of those good nights against inferior athletes, and he looks unstoppable. And then you see him, and you're like, <laughs> oh no, but he's still not skilled at all. Sometimes, right? Yeah, but, it, uh, which is it kind of hard to figure out because man, like there, as you said, there were moments when he was an underclassman, and maybe that's just because. 
when Tony Carr was still there, everything worked so much better. I promise Penn State fans eventually will stop talking about him, but I still just can't help but think about where this team would be if they'd actually gotten four years out of him. I don't know if he ended up on an NBA roster or not, but I know he went undrafted. So even if he's there, he's not making a whole lot of money. Um, but yeah, look, Jones has been a nice addition for them this year. Um, Miles Dredd has kicked up the scoring a notch, and Watkins has... In, at least in the statistical category, has been pretty good so far. They really need his presence more defensively than they do on the offense. I mean, if he contributes anything more than putbacks yeah. and dunks offensively, that's absolutely gravy. Um, what they really need from him is to take the rebounding load off of Stevens to body up in the lane so that you don't have to you don't have guys rotating over and racking up fouls. Because you know, behind him up front, they really do not have much. Um, you know, John Hera is like he's like the inheritor of the Gavin Schilling walking onto the court with two fouls mantle where he, like, he just can't stay out of foul trouble. I, I forget. I mean, Schilling's thing was he could never avoid like, moving screens, but I like with Hera, I think he does. I think it's over the back that he gets called for a lot. Um, at least I, that's what I associate him with. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but um, you know, you gotta give me some credit here. I may not know all the tendencies of Penn state's backup big man. <laughs> so, um, every team usually has a a, a, a goonish guy kind of like that uh, every every few years. Uh, Iowa had McCabe a few years back who was an absolute Sioux City river rat. Oh, like judo, judo warrior, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, you need guys like that once in a while. I mean, but yeah, um, walk on the court with two fouls and with the intent to get two more. <laughs> right, you know. <laughs> I look, I ain't out here to score 20 points or to play 20 minutes. I'm just, you know, <laughs> got to give the other guy a break. So it, it's important to know your role. It's important to know your positioning. Uh, uh, those old, uh, it's a uh, uh, defensive, uh, those old defensive hockey goons that really can't skate or were tall yeah. enough to play basketball. Yeah. You know, I mean, Hell, I grew up a massive Red Wings fan. I'm still to the extent that they're watchable, which is not very. But uh, Tomas Holmstrom, I'm, I'm not ever. I'm not convinced he ever actually knew how to skate. Uh, but he and turned up, turned in uh, a pretty close to a Hall of Fame career. Now I'm ashamed of myself because I don't know if he actually made the Hall of Fame or not. Um, <laughs> speaking of coming up just short, uh, Wisconsin, our favorite team. Had a good game against St. Mary's uh, team, actually. Do we have it'll, to? It'll be quick. It'll be quick. Um, and then they, in their own discount version of the backyard brawl, um, they avenged Purdue's honor against Marquette. Uh, and they're answering a lot of questions, at least, about how they're going to replace Hap's production. And it's with a balanced approach. Um, they're getting a nice level scoring contribution from it, it. Davison is their leading scorer, but not not dramatically so. Colby King is chipping in. Nate Reavers is chipping. Wait, Nate? Is that his first name? Reavers. I feel like I'm losing my mind. It's Nate Reavers, isn't it? Oh, jeez. Now, now you're going to make me look this up. I'm pretty sure his first name is Nate, but saying it, it just doesn't sound correct. Yeah, feel... Nate Reavers. Okay, hey. all right. I thought it was. Nathan Reavers. But it just didn't roll off my tongue correctly. And I was like, okay. Um, well, he's but anyway, he's, he's, been, he's, he's been fine did. this year. Um, and they're getting more of a contribution from uh, the yeah, who to this point hasn't really done a whole lot. So um, they've got enough balance that it, they're, they're not living and dying by one guy as much anymore. And that caused them real problems last year as 
I think we may have discussed previously. Oh, that that was probably with the Wisconsin guy, wasn't it? Uh, but yeah. yeah, but the problem they had with Hap last year at times was the offense got pretty predictable. You knew they were going to try to get him a touch in the post, two out of three possessions. Um, you knew if you whacked him and put him on the foul line, that would generally go well for you. So with a more traditional, balanced, yeah, I mean, distributed offensive approach, they look a little bit more like their old selves offensively, which, you know, well, that's a good thing, I guess, is kind of in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> but um, notwithstanding, no. <laughs> yeah, notwithstanding a lot to St. Mary's, though, they're off to a decent enough start that I think we can probably expect them to be in their usual position in the top four or five, six of the conference. Um now the question about what to make of Illinois. Uh, they got they needed overtime to get by Nichols, not Nichols State, Nichols. Uh, they did edge out a pretty good Grand Canyon squad, which is um, the first <laughs> the first successful for profit university with a major athletics department. Thunder Dan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, Marley. And then they got obliterated by a way more talented team in Arizona. Um, if you're looking for a reason for optimism, it's that, well, for one thing, Kofi Coburn has absolutely hit the ground running. He's been good to go from the opening whistle. Um, Bosman's Verdonks has also been pretty much good to go. They, I think he's having a pretty good game tonight, although I haven't updated the box score on that recently. Um, and Georgie is doing his his classic Georgie stuff. So they have a real front line here now, which is good because that was a serious problem for them last year was depth up front. Uh, if they get even comparable guard play to where they, where they were last year and the, these freshman big guys can keep up what they're doing so far, uh, I think they're going to be in good shape when conference season comes around. So I know the results have been a little bit jarring at times i mean they they certainly have played a couple of these closer than you might have liked to see them but this is still a work in progress i mean it was a for one thing a pretty substantial style transformation and roster transformation that underwood was going to be undertaking if you'll forgive the turn of turn of a phrase uh, <laughs> when he got to champagne he, there was going to be a lot of work needed to be done and i there are signs that they're not too far away from that paying off. And I'm not just saying that because they beat MSU last year and made us look like absolute horse shit, which they did. Um, MSU was bound to have a couple of those games every season. The results this year, I really do think you can look at this as a glass half full. And uh, hey, I don't think they've taken a loss yet, if I remember. Oh, no, that Illinois just or Arizona just said that. So, yeah. But again, that's you're playing a different oh. level of team there. I mean, Arizona's recent yeah. results haven't been commensurate with what they're raking in, but um, the other well, Miller brother is certainly piling up the blue chips. So it's not really yeah. a shame to get run off a court by that kind of group of athletes. He hasn't been able to coach this team enough to bring them down to their result. The results is usually. Yeah, that's the thing. You got you got to trick Arizona into giving you a random non-conference game in January or something. At which point, uh, half the you know two or three guys will be thinking about their NBA stock. A couple other guys will be thinking about transferring, and then you're golden because by then um, the wheels have come off of it and the whole thing's falling apart. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Miller brothers, we can discuss Indiana for a hot second. Um, they've gotten a pretty substantial step forward from Al Durham, um, as well as from Justin Smith. Trace Jackson Davis has pretty much been as advertised. 
but there's a pretty big caveat here, which is they have had the most comically soft basketball schedule. I, I recall seeing. I mean, I you'd have to pro- you probably have to go back a few years to find non-conference scheduling this spectacularly weak. Western Illinois, Ken Palm 311. Portland State, 276. North Alabama, 280. Troy, 297. Um, they, they have not played anybody yet. No one in the top 250. No one in the top 250. Yeah, which is I mean, it's like, I it's was, difficult. It's difficult. Uh, I would schedule under, schedule, non-conference scheduling under Fran has, usually, has typically been very, very weak, but not quite that bad. Yeah, and it like... Uh, this is kind of interesting in the other direction. We talked about the risks that Minnesota and Iowa took by maybe punching just a little bit above their early season weight class with their scheduling. But if you're Indiana, I mean, the committee's shown in the last couple of years, this is not going to do you any favors. Like they're not just going to glance at your record, glance at your logo and say, okay, they're in. Like if you got 20 something, automatically in. Yeah, but if, you know, they're looking now, if seven or eight of those are against these complete cupcakes, like, you're not getting credit for that. You're better off taking the Minnesota or Iowa approach, scheduling good teams, and if you play them close, if they're decent enough wins, the committee's not going to penalize you for having eight, nine, ten, eleven losses. Um, that's, you know, it's just I mean, it's an interesting time, approach. Can you, can you, I mean, in past seasons, they've kind of struggled a little bit with some of the tougher teams like what was it uh was the was the mastodons a couple of years ago and i believe so that's not ooey pooey though right that is that purdue fort wayne i think that's uh yeah fort wayne yeah um i guess maybe maybe the approach here is they've still they've got a substantially different team from last year and Miller simply feels that he needs to work on the rotations, work on the lineups enough that there is value in these cupcake games. Um, I don't know why exactly that would be the case, because they do, I mean, losing Jawan Morgan, losing Romeo Langford, those are two big losses. But other than that, they've got a lot of carryover from last year. They've still got Finnessy, still got Green, Durham, Smith, um, Deron Davis. All these guys are back. It's... Well, and last year, I mean, how often did uh, Langford, like, shoot them out of a game? Like, he was really good and really talented, really athletic, but he also really liked to shoot a three and miss it. He did, Uh, and when he wasn't shooting threes, he was shooting these weird fall-away, fading two-point shots, which were hard to defend because that's what defenses want you to do. And he scored enough, I mean, he put up enough volume with that that I guess if you're the coach, you live with it. Um but it, wasn't he fighting through an injury for part of last year too? Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, I don't know. I yeah, think earlier in this earlier in the season. That's yeah, I thought there was something that supposedly affected his ability to shoot normally, like a wrist or a hand injury or something. But in any case, it. It, uh, yeah, it, I can't help but wonder if maybe this is because I mean, it Indiana has a front line here. I mean, what they really need is more consistency from fantasy. Um, They've played, uh, what is the kid's name? Armani Armani Green? Is that Armand, the guy? Armand Franklin. Franklin. That's yeah. the guy, yeah, the, the freshman point guard. He's gotten a little bit of run in some of the games I've skimmed over. Um, if they have a more you know, dynamic kind of playmaking point guard contribution, um, they've got bigs who can really bang. I mean, it 
on most other teams, I think Deron Davis plays 25 minutes a night and starts. Um, they haven't used him a whole lot, again, in the sample size I've seen. Um, but, you know, they've got with Justin Smith, with Jackson Davis, they've got good alternatives. So they've got kind of uh, kind of an embarrassment of riches and, you know, some nice, nice dilemmas for the coach to make. This is the kind of tough choice that you want. And the other thing about Indiana is we're going to get a better measure of what they are really soon because they play Louisiana Tech pretty soon. That's Ken Palm 92. And then they get Florida State, which is Ken Palm 15. So small upgrade in opponent difficulty. <laughs> um, uh, they'll either bomb with the, the giant leap or they'll have gained confidence and be able to hopefully do something with it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we we mentioned Arizona squandering talent. Nobody knows how to waste a blue chip quite like Leonard Hamilton. So uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see yeah. if uh, if the on court result for Miller starts to catch up with the way he's racking up the talent. I guess we'll find out. That's a good thing you can say about this. You know, whatever your impressions are this early in the season, you're about to have a lot more useful data points between the Thanksgiving tournaments, the Big Ten ACC Challenge, um, a lot more high quality games coming our way. Um, talk kind of about the last team that's floating in the middle here, Michigan. Um, they've had a few closer calls than the final scores indicate. They got a fight from Appalachian State, which wouldn't that have been hilarious? Um, and well, they uh, let Appalachian State back in the game. Yeah, yeah, they let, and maybe that's you know first game. Oh, we got this. We can kind of cruise and enjoy the atmosphere. Who knows? Um, they, I mean, the thing is. They're going to be a different team, I think, once they get Franz Wagner available. He, I think, is still, I think it was supposed to be like a four to six week injury that happened probably a week or two before the season. So he's got to be coming back pretty soon. I doubt he'll be back in time for the um, ACC challenge, but they should get him back before conference play starts enough to work him into the rotation. Um, they have gotten a big improvement out of John Teske. And this, I think, was a hopeful note that I saw from some Michigan fans when Juwan Howard was hired, which is that his biggest data point as a developmental guy was what he did with Hassan Whiteside when he was with Miami, um, turning him from yeah. kind of just a big guy into a hugely productive guy. Now, he wasn't able to make him not a psycho, but, you know, what are you going to do about that mm-hmm. by the time the guy's in the NBA? So uh, if Tes- if the improvement Teske has shown, especially in his offensive game, is for real, um, they've got a first-team all-Big Ten candidate here because his defense has always been solid. Um, he's he's him, he's well, he can shoot a little play. bit from the outside. A little bit. He's had a couple of his moments. I really don't think that's going to be... I think they're better served keeping him close to the rim. And I know well, that may sound I, like a you know prehistoric basketball take, but I just don't... I mean... Unless, and again, I haven't watched enough of them to know if his shooting motion has changed substantially, but it was so slow last year when he did attempt the threes that he did. Uh, I just don't know. I mean, even with him being that tall, I guess he can take as long as he wants if he can, by just jumping a little bit, shoot over anybody. But it just doesn't seem like the best. Uh, May have been been more of a, a result of beeline system then. Yeah, the the, the perpetual search for Pitts Novo, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, to be fair, when they had that guy, when they had Mo Wagner, it's it's a it was a thing of beauty. Uh, this is a different system that Morgan is running, though. And again, I'll be completely honest here. I need to watch more of it before 
I can conclusively say, oh, they're using him this way, they're using him that way. But there was nothing I saw from him working on the perimeter that made me think, oh, yeah, I need more John Teske shooting threes, especially given the fact that they've had, um, I mean, Isaiah Livers is really the thing that makes this offense go. He's darn near maintained his efficiency on substantially higher usage. They're also getting bigger production out of um, Eli Brooks, who initially, his first couple of years, kind of looked like a wasted scholarship, but um, he has really taken a nice turn. The thing is, though, they're playing a lot of smaller lineups, which is partially dictated by their personnel, but I mean, they're not using as much of Castleton. Um, they're playing Brandon Johns more, but still not a lot. When they get into the Big Ten and they're dealing with bigger wings, I don't know if lineups that have Simpson and Brooks or um, Simpson and Julius or you know, some combination of those three, two of those three guys, I don't know how often that's going to work. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of other teams that are playing more than one point, point guard-sized guy. So I guess we'll see how that plays out. I mean, you could say it the other way and be like, well, who's going to guard these quick little dudes? But, I mean, they're playing wings who can move. So we'll see long-term how this pans out. you got to be satisfied with the results so far. They did get a pretty good win over Creighton, um, your dear friend and colleague. <laughs> he always he tries so hard, but, you know, one on five is difficult. I give him credit for hanging there as long as he did. Well, and I think I, w- I was kind of interested to see how their style would change between uh, with Howard and and uh, going from Eline to Howard. Eline played slow, had a very set, like rigid offensive system. Brilliant, got great, really efficient. I was wondering if uh, Juwan would probably ma- maybe bring some uh, NBA style uh, styles style like the pace in space sort of thing. And doesn't, hasn't really, haven't really seen that yet. I mean, they've got the smaller guys, but they haven't really been playing with pace from what I've seen. And I think they, I think they play a little bit faster than they did last year. Um, But again, we are on a small enough sample size here. Yeah. That it's kind of hard to say. The other thing is their biggest problem last year was shooting. And then, their two best shooters, Poole and Brezdikas, are both gone. You know, again, they're they're still playing Simpson a lot of minutes. They've still got Teske on the floor, which, you know, he he may occasionally try a three if you leave him wide open, but he's never going to be a volume. I don't think he's ever going to be a volume guy. Um, other than that, I mean, they've got Livers and they've got Brooks. But other than that, not a whole lot of proven shooting. So if they want to go with kind of a higher tempo NBA three-point chucking kind of offense, I don't know if they have the personnel for that right now. They may in the future, but I don't know if that's the short-term result. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Near the top of the conference, things are a little bit more varied here. You know, the quick one I think we can comment on here is Maryland because they've got a schedule here comparable to Indiana in the early going. Not quite that extent, but they have yet to play anybody real. Um, they've, uh, I think they've got, they had Fairfield yesterday. I forget who their next game is, but let me take a look. They, oh, so George Mason on Friday, that's better. It's an undefeated team. 
Um, I don't know what they're projected to do in the Patriot League this year, but it's certainly more of a name, at least. I mean, that's something that would get your attention to turn. But, I mean, the good thing is, and our Maryland correspondent DJ has commented on this, they're they're actually visibly making use of these easier games and that they're concretely working on specific things in that game. Like they've worked on a matchup zone. They've worked on a 2-3 zone, um, which they've never done in the past. So he's very encouraged by that. Uh, yeah, DJ was talking about a 1-3-1 trap even a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, look, if you've got if you've got incredible depth and great athletes like Maryland does, I think you're kind of wasting that depth if you don't play a little bit of zone occasionally. It works better with athletes. Like, for example, this, the ones that Syracuse used to get all the time um, where they had some Especially, springy seven-foot center every year. Yeah, I mean, you got Maryland teams always have the super quick point guard. They still have one with Callen and run the, the top of the key going side to side with the zone and uh, they always have a big guy in the paint you can you can just plant right in the middle and just um, keep guys from uh, driving so uh, why not why wouldn't you yeah yeah it's again he's our Maryland people have been very encouraged by what they've seen so far um, well, the thing is is it gonna last Right. <laughs> and that's you take mean, it with the appropriate. You, how much salt. do you trust Turgeon? Yeah. Come well, that's, I mean, he shuffled his staff a little bit such that you could argue, well, maybe he's given a little more game planning control over to guys who might be a little bit better at it. And if that's the case, if he's taking more of a program CEO, like Roy Williams kind of approach that could work at Maryland. I mean, they've, they haven't had problems getting enough talent in there. Um, but we, yeah, again, as we could say with all the teams we're talking about, we shall see. Um, Purdue took an early loss to Texas. They also, I mean, this game against Marquette that they had, this is one of the few non-MSU games that I've actually taken the time to watch wire to wire. And there were some real red flags in that Marquette game. Um, not a game where Marcus Howard was unbelievable. I mean, he was good. He was very good. But... The way they lost that game, I think they scored like 14 points in the second half. And it was just like the approach they took, they, you know, with a front line of Matt Harms and Travion Williams uh, going up against the formidable Theo John, they looked powerless. I mean, those guys got worked on the boards. And as much as. Harms has never been. For as tall as he is, he's never been the wide body who's banging. No, I mean he's he's a he's a skinny guy, and that's why he's got to remember. It. Basically, he got consistently boxed out. Like John just beat him to the spot over and over again, and that has to like it was so strange because it was such a difference from the first half when Purdue was winning the physical battle decisively, and they used it to build I think like a ten or a twelve point lead at halftime. Uh, and just the the stark difference in the second half. I mean, their offense looks utterly lost. And it they've got all these actions they're designing for Stefanovich, where like I'm looking at the way he catches and shoots, and I'm like, is this, that's the guy that you're drawing all this stuff up for? I mean, he could I think he could be a good role player, but I don't think he's the focal point of a good offense. And it was just it was mystifying. I mean, they had, part of the reason they had to yeah. Painter's always been a defensive first coach, but it seemed like there was a bit of a revelation a few years back where they 
just had all those three-point shooters surrounding those giant guys in the paint and thought there was a bit more thought into his offensive game. But so far this year... And that may be in part dictated by the players. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's not clear that they have any shooters on this roster as good as either of the guys... Um, who were in those roles last year in Eifert or Klein. I don't know. I don't think they have any shooters on the roster as good as either of those guys. And of course they also don't have the chaos inducing presence of Carson Edwards, which was, you know, we, we gave Purdue a lot of credit in the preseason in that they've dealt with turnover of major pieces in the last few years without a whole lot of problems. Um, This might be the year where they take a little bit of a step back and have a bit of a rebuild. Uh, They've gotten, I mean, they've had good moments from Hunter and from Wheeler. Um, Jihad Proctor had a couple of nice plays in the Marquette game there, I remember. But it still doesn't feel like, I mean, the the obvious question, the one that you can ask about any offensively challenged team is, all right, so if it's like a one-point game with 30 seconds left, who do you want taking the last shot? I don't think Purdue has an answer for that right now. And it's early in the season. I mean, they may well figure that out. But there are some there are some um, there's some warning lights going off here for Purdue. Uh, the team there are no warning lights at all for is Ohio State. And when I'm seeing hey, I just, they've yeah, they've been uh, they scary, man. And when MC and I discussed this at the beginning of the season, I ventured the opinion that their one matchup with Michigan State this year, the last game of the season, might actually be to in some fashion decide who wins the Big Ten. Uh, I'm sticking by that. <laughs> I'm not go that far? Yeah, he but, wasn't either. Like, and I may be overestimating things a bit here, but uh, they've been remarkable. Well, I had I had Ohio State as a solidly the second best team. I mean, I just think Michigan State's that much better, but... Uh, yeah, we'll Ohio see. State, uh, I still Ohio think... Ohio State was that much talent, that class coming in, and they 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 hit the ground running. Yeah. They may be a year away, because um, really, I think their only senior is Andre Wesson, and I believe he's been hurt. I don't remember seeing him play in either of the Ohio State games I've caught so far this year. Uh, but Caleb Wesson has taken a big step forward. I mean, he's improved his body even further, so he's going to be able to play more. Um, his playmaking has always been pretty good, but he has taken another step forward as a passer. Um, he's a good enough shooter. And they've got enough pieces around him now that his pass making ability, I feel like it's going to, it's, it just feels like it's going to go a lot better this year with guys like, you know, a sophomore Muhammad, a sophomore Washington, um, Carton and Liddell with guys like those around him instead of um, Keyshawn Woods and CJ Jackson who had their moments, but were for the most part, very inefficient shooters. It feels like this Ohio state team has a much higher ceiling than they did last year. And, you know, I mean, given a lot that, of it's still yeah. going to depend on if Wesson can stay out of foul trouble. He had a lot of problems that, with that last year. He did. Trouble and then just, like, Although they, like, they do have, in my mind, definitely the best garbage man in the conference in Kyle Young behind him. Um, their posture obviously changes a bit if it's Young on the floor instead of Wesson. But I don't think their offense is going to fall off of a table quite as much as it did when Wesson was out last year because they have other guys who are capable of making this offense go. Exactly. They've got other guys now surrounding that can do different things. Yeah, and so even if Wesson has to be off the floor for some stretches, um, you know, action worked by Carton or by Muhammad or by Washington, 
I think that stuff can all work for them a little bit better now. Uh, and definitely a couple of the more impressive results. I mean, they beat Cincinnati in the opener and they worked over Villanova, man. I mean, that game was not close from the tip. Um, hugely impressive. And Villanova has lost a couple of important pieces from last year's team as well, but that's still... And they've been flown to blowouts a few times over the last few years, even when they've been a great team. It has happened, and they had this thing last year where they started really slow, too. They had a whole bunch of turnover from the previous year, so they had new guys who had not fully bought in at the beginning of the year. So yeah, Villanova's been prone to some slow starts, but that's still a premier program uh, in the conference. Yeah, and It'll be a good win at the end of the year. Oh yeah, that's going to be one of those things where when you're talking about seeding, um, that's going to be one of the ones right on the first line, I think. Um, so speaking of seeding, and hopefully the first line, uh, my own team, Michigan State, opened the season with the most predictable stumble <laughs> against Kentucky ever because they... <laughs> They always play these opening games against the toughest opponents they can find. They usually lose them, and then they tend to go on to prosper from there. Um, the game they played against Seton Hall was definitely my favorite game of the season so far, and of course it helps that my team won, but uh, it was fantastic. Well, Seton Hall's I mean, a pretty solid team. Oh, they're really good, man. They are really good. And yeah. not just, you know, the only guy you hear about from them is Miles Powell, but dude, they are gigantic up front. Uh, and Xavier Tillman had the worst game of his life because I, for one thing, I don't think he's used to guys who he can't move. And they had this, I think he's like seven, two. Um, so picture like a guy, Matt harms height, but like probably a good 50 or 60 pounds heavier in Romaro Gill. And he wasn't a stiff either. The guy could move. Um, just dominant defensively, changed the angle of every shot within 10 feet of the rim. Uh, the broadcast certainly talked him up into a little more than he was because he wasn't doing a whole lot offensively, but defensively and on the glass, he was a force. Uh, you know, Powell wasn't supposed to play because he had an ankle injury in their previous game. They were talking about him being out indefinitely. And then I turn on the game, and there he is playing. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, I'm sure Izzo had kind of the same reaction. Uh, <laughs> You know, he didn't have a great first half, but man, the second half, it was one of those. He went full Coble. Um, if you, I don't know if you recall Kevin Coble, but uh, boy, there's a oh. there's a there's a deep dive there waiting to happen. Um, God, yeah. those awful ass Carmody teams that still managed to spring an upset on MSU because you know, it's one of those things like the more recent analog, I guess, would be Teran Petaway where he's like double covered on the sideline 35 feet away and he just, just flings it up, up splash yeah just like shot after shot and like you know he struts back on cock he's like that was the dumbest shot you shouldn't you should not have been rewarded for that <laughs> uh, but it gets to a point where if a guy really truly is just in a heat check mode like that that you kind of you can't help it, but appreciate yeah. it yeah um powell was fantastic msu got quite the coming out from malik hall who went scoreless in his first two games and then chipped in 17 all in the second half, all after Aaron Henry turned his ankle and was hobbling around, not really doing much. Um, so they got a big contribution out of him. Winston was his usual self. It was a great game. Um, if they play, I mean, they've got other really good games coming up in terms of the matchup on paper. They're probably not going to win all of them, especially because one of them is Duke. <laughs> but if they play as good a game in those, I'll be satisfied um because it you know i can see that this team is still headed for big things and yeah the seton hall game was fantastic 
All right. Well, part so. of the whole, part of the, I mean, Josh Lankford's still out indefinitely. Maybe yeah. might play again, but like it's starting to feel a little bit like he's gone. And part of the reason why there was so much optimism is that, hey, we're getting Josh Lankford back, right? Yeah, they're, I mean, they're talking, anyway, about, they're talking about reevaluating in January. Um, and it's just like, I don't know the details of this injury. I mean, I just remember when it first happened, it wasn't supposed to be a big deal. It was, I think, the last game of December last year, the last non-conference game. It was just this foot yeah, thing. Like, like, a couple weeks, out. right? Yeah, I was like, he's going to be out in death. He's going to be out for a little while, but it just it kept going and going and going. And I think they finally shut him down... I don't know, like mid-February they announced for good. Uh, and it was just, it was hard to understand. It never sounded like it was that big of a deal. And then over the offseason, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about it other than we can't wait to get him back. And right up until the season started, it sounded like he was coming back. And then he just didn't. And, yeah, it's it sucks for him, honestly, because everyone around the team loves him. They all, I mean... He's supposed to be the emotional core of the team, and with him unable to play, it's it's a really it's an unfortunate situation. But it has opened yeah. opportunities for other guys. Now the thing is, they are young on the wing, but man, do they have some potential! And you know, I mentioned Malik Hall; he, I think, is going to be a gamer. He reminds me of Raymar Morgan, who will always have a place in my heart because he was in my class at MSU. He was one of the guys who started the same year I did. And the, uh, the other two guys in my class at MSU uh, were one, Tom Herzog. Uh, do you have any memories of him? Herzog. Uh, oh, was he the guy who was just jacking up um, uh, the three-point shooter? Was he that sharpshooter? No, you're thinking of Russell Bird. This is even further back than yes. that. No, Tom Herzog yeah, was like no, a seven. Bird. Well, yeah, which again, that was an unfortunate thing because he he his career really was wrecked by injuries. He was never the he was never the guy MSU thought they were getting. Um, no, Herzog was a seven footer who never really panned out into anything. And the other guy, the third recruit in my class at MSU, was uh, Isaiah Dalman, who until Amir Coffey came along was generally regarded as the best player in Minnesota high school basketball history. Um, five star. I think something like a top 20 recruit held all the scoring records and he just never did anything. So Raymar Morgan was the only guy from my class who was ever any good. Um, I remember his game very well because of that. And Malik Hall reminds me of him. Um, that's about all. I mean, but the thing is, as, as impressive as Hall was in that debut, you know, when Aaron Henry didn't play in their uh, game against Charleston Southern yesterday, Gabe Brown had some great moments. And last year, he was just a shooter, but he drives now, he dunks, he plays defense. Much more of a complete player. So even without Langford, they really are pretty good on the wings. And if Aaron Henry's ankle injury turns out to be a temporary thing, which it sounds like he'll be fine for Virginia Tech um, next Monday, they could be in business here. I mean, there's not a whole lot to complain about with how MSU's played so far. Even with, I mean, that Kentucky loss was basically like a D-plus game from MSU, and they were still within striking range until the last minute or so. Um, although, that loss, oh, I'll admit, yeah. has not has not aged quite the way I thought it would, <laughs> given that they <laughs> then turned around and took their first, uh, their first loss at home to a non-conference, you know, like the whole, like, I don't remember what, there's a whole well, bunch of days. Number the, one at home, non-conference. Yeah. Like, they hadn't lost a game like that, I think, ever. <laughs> like, in the next game, they just... 
put yes, their foot in. To Hat, Team Hat. Yes. Stetson. <laughs> well, no, that, they lost to Evansville. Stetson well, played against Right, but Evansville, and then, yeah. then they turn around the very next game and almost blow it against Stetson. Ugh. Yeah, man, that loss. I mean, that you loss just hate not... to see it, right? Yeah, well, I mean, the guy who drilled the three in MSU's face, Tyrese Maxey, was supposedly concerning MSU very late in the process. I don't know why I let that kind of thing upset me. They never pick MSU when Kentucky and Duke are also the hats on the table. So, you know, I should probably get well, over it. now you know how kind of Iowa fans feel with Michigan State and uh, Michigan. Seems to lose a lot of recruits to Michigan State and Michigan, but so it goes. Yeah, everybody's got somebody who you're looking up at. I yep. <laughs> um, all right, so we we have in one breath or another covered most of the Gabbett games. Um, I guess we could point out that as as rough as Northwestern's overall results have been, they did somehow get a win over Providence, uh, which, boy. Yeah, I have no Chris, idea how that happened. Chris I mean, Dunn ain't walking through that door, man. Um, actually, I remember... Um, some articles I skimmed through on the Michigan internet when they were going through their coaching search, Ed Cooley was the only other name that really came up. And there was kind of a foreboding note as they talked about him, like, yeah, you know, other than that time he had Chris Dunn, his teams are mostly unwatchable on offense and kind of just average overall. And that's, I think people have a slightly inflated estimation of Providence because of what the little Chris Dunn spurt that they had a few years ago. But other than that, they really haven't been I a mean, lot lately. They're currently 26 in Ken Palm. I, I, there's no way that can stay that way. But uh, No, this loss to Northwestern is going to be an anchor very soon. Like, yeah. <laughs> give, give another couple, yeah, yeah, give Northwestern sure. another couple losses to, uh, to third-tier conferences, and that's going to be, they're, I mean, they're going to drop like a stone. So um, other than that, like I said, we covered most of what I would view as the interesting results um, Penn State did get a decent win over Georgetown. We had Minnesota going down to Butler, but we've—I mean—we've covered most everything else, I think. So we'll take a little bit of a look forward now uh, and talk about the Thanksgiving week tournaments. And we'll begin, of course, by talking about the teams who are not participating in the tradition of playing games really far away from home on Thanksgiving and being away from your families, but instead are doing these goofy little things where they host a bunch of tomato cans in these little round robin events where they all play each other, but it involves a bunch of home games for the host. And then, yeah, they call it tournament. So that's Ohio state, Indiana, Rutgers, and Minnesota are all doing those things. I do not recall seeing any games in any of those that interested me at all. So skipping right along. Um, Nebraska's going to the, uh, to the Cayman (laughs) Islands classic. And they've got a matchup against Washington State, followed by either George Mason or Old Dominion. Those are all teams. I mean, George Mason is 152. But other than that, they're all teams in the mid-100s of Ken Palm. Old Dominion's 125. Wazoo's 140. Um, Nebraska's actually now 129. So these are all teams that, in theory, are roughly in Nebraska's weight class. And given that they've really, really struggled with teams that they're supposed to be much better than. Um, I think we'll see if Nebraska is capable of elevating their game in a different kind of format. You know, maybe there's something to be said about the pressure of a team of all new guys playing at home and with a new coach. Maybe that gets in your head a little bit and it's good to get away and just roll the balls out and play. Maybe that helps them. I guess we'll see. 
I, well, my guess is that it's going to depend on how they shoot. Like, because that's really Hoiberg's style is just threes and threes and layups, threes and layups. And so, my oh. guess is if they can shoot, they'll I, they'll probably catch fire on one team, and I wouldn't be surprised if they beat one of those teams. Yeah, it's it's an NBA informed beat South Dakota State. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that'll be interesting. I believe their first game is on Monday, and typically in these events, the follow up is either the next day, and then you play a final on Wednesday or perhaps Friday. So I forget the exact schedule there, but that matchup with Washington State, I believe, is Monday. Um, Penn State, as we mentioned earlier, they've got kind of an interesting matchup as they continue their participation in the NIT tip-off bracket, which, uh, boy, I don't know. Maybe this is, maybe I just have a different perspective, and I'm trying not to be a privileged basketball fan here because I know how fortunate I am. But I just think, like, if you're in the NIT the previous year, don't you kind of want to forget about it most of the time? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, they, but they have what should be an interesting matchup. Depends against on how them. it ended. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, if it's... If you thought you'd be a lot better and you end up losing the first round of the NIT, for example, what up, Kentucky? Uh, and, you know, that may be a memory you want to wash out a little bit more firmly and aggressively. Uh, so Penn State, interesting matchup with Ole Miss from the Barclays Center. I could not tell you the first thing about Ole Miss basketball. Ken Palm has them at 55, so somebody thinks they're pretty good. Um, and Penn well, State, they no longer have that guy that single-handedly beat Wisconsin in the tournament. I don't know how many years ago. No, he's got. I mean, he's got to be. He's got to be at least well, he's four. Probably, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know the guy you're talking about. His name That's, escapes me too. He was that Pen- little, uh, Pen- basically Pen- that or, that Eric Dorf clone. Um, yeah. <laughs> what was his name? Yeah, I know who you mean. Um, the guy who jumped up on the table and yeah, yeah, his chest and all that. Which you know, again, don't you like a guy like that once in a while? I don't oh, think there is a guy, love like, a guy that like that basketball right now. I mean. I'm never going to forget Devendorf because he's from he's from pretty close to my hometown. He ended up at Syracuse of all places. Um, and he was part of that team that played that incredible that Big East tournament game with UConn that I will never forget as long as I live. That was the best basketball game I've ever seen. Um, I, he will always have a special place in my heart. Wherever you are, Eric, love you, man. <laughs> so all of which is to say, again, that I have very little to say about the current... St- oh, Henderson was the guy's name. What was the what was his first name, though? Marshall. Jared- Marshall, Marshall Henderson. Henderson. That's it. Yeah, and shares the first name with Eminem, which, of course, he does. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and again, this is all to say that we have very little to say about the current state of Ole Miss basketball. Uh, they've not been discussed as being in the picture to contend in the SEC, but the SEC in basketball is quite top-heavy. Not the same way it is in football. But outside of Kentucky, Florida, Auburn, Tennessee, hard to see anybody forcing their way into the conference picture this year. So they could end up a decent team, maybe a team that you don't hear a whole lot about because the odds that they're ever ranked, for example, pretty slim with the tougher conference schedule they're going to have. Um, let's see. Northwestern, they've got a matchup against Bradley. Um, that's a team that I think on paper is probably better than Northwestern right now. <laughs> And if, oh, you know, regardless yeah. of what happens in that game, they then get to play either Bruce Weber's Kansas State or Jeff Capel's Pitt. So they've got a couple of more talented teams than them on the slate, regardless of what happens with Bradley. Um, got to find some momentum here. They don't necessarily have to win either or both of these matchups, but they've got to have some kind, something they can build on 
to get a little bit of a head steam. Of life. Yeah, as we head towards again, those first two games in conference play are coming up soon. That's in a couple weeks. Uh, yeah, two weeks, two three weeks. Yeah, I think it's like, like the second second the... week of December is when most of them are. I believe yeah. um, that's right around the corner. And th- these are this is the last opportunity. I mean, Bradley is a team that on paper you really ought to be able to beat. Now, I don't think the results on the court would tell you that anymore. But got to get something going here if you're Northwestern. Wisconsin uh, should have a victory on the slate against Richmond. Then they get the they get either New Mexico or Auburn. Um, Wisconsin Auburn would be oh God, Auburn. a, a oh, game. Please, yeah. please. Yeah. yeah oh, I would they... love to see that. <laughs> Go. I still got to get you. Go, you fighting cheaters. Barners forever. I got to get you and Thump in the same audio channel talking about Auburn basketball at some point. And I'll just sit back and watch like the kid at the table whose parents are fighting. Um, his, his hatred for Bruce Pearl is truly heartfelt. He <laughs> never did anything wrong. Bruce Pearl's a saint. I mean, it's not Bruce Pearl's fault that Illinois was cheating. <laughs> I don't know if he listens to the basket cast or not. I guess we'll find out. I'm going to know if he does very abruptly because he will pop into my mentions <laughs> abruptly. Uh, and and demand that I re- that I retract this entire episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we'll see. Uh, I mean, look, I'm I'm all in favor of better teams. That is, as much as I don't care, better teams playing as much as possible. As much as I don't necessarily care for Wisconsin or their generally preferred style of offense, uh, Wisconsin versus Auburn would be a good game, I think. And so I want to see it. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, contrast styles to say the least. Yes. Yes. And that's always, I mean, I, I believe that really, if I remember, the reason for Auburn's run in the tournament going as deep as it did is because they managed to, impre- to force their style onto a number of other teams against their will, um, which is always well, difficult. Because to- most basketball players want to run. They want to play fast. They want to get out and shoot and be athletes. And yeah, I do, I do think, it's, I think it's a little counterintuitive to try to slow them down. But on the other hand, you always hear that it's easier to slow a team down and drag them into the muck rather than force them to play fast because... Because who's saying that? Old ex-coaches who want to control every aspect of the game. Well, no, I get... I mean, just from a... If you think about it, like, if the other team has the ball, other than trying to do, like, a half-court trap or something, you can't necessarily force them to move any faster than they want to move. I mean, they're going to shoot it when they want to shoot it or when the shot clock expires... Um, you can, well, you can always force really the have issue control. a little bit by pressing yeah, and... a little bit, but it, except at the very top levels of running the press, a lot of the time, if you press and the opponent breaks it, which any good team can do, you're just giving up layups. And in that case, does it really help you to play faster if your defense is just yielding? I don't know. I mean, we're getting a little more into the weeds than I meant to speaking of styles. I mean, another, <laughs> another team that plays this, um, this glacial pace Texas Tech matching up with your own Hawkeyes. They're gonna smother Iowa. It like it's not gonna be. It's gonna be a bloodbath. <laughs> like they'll slow it down and they'll play the smothering defense. Well, and you know, Iowa will from the perspective press and press and just collapse under their own weight. 
from the perspective of an underdog trying to beat a team that plays this this plotting style though the window is more open for an upset against that kind of team than it usually is. I mean, why did Virginia become the first one seed to lose to a 16? Because they play so slowly that once they're behind by more than five points, it, it feels like they're behind by more because they don't have as many opportunities to make that kind of thing up. Um, I'm not well, saying that I expect Iowa to... Yeah. Pushing the pace. Right, and I, I don't expect yeah. Iowa to win or even necessarily to keep this close, but it's just something to keep in the back of your mind with these slow these you know these absolutely snails pace teams is they leave themselves a little bit open for upsets it's not unlike running extreme trestle ball strategies in football if you reduce the number of possessions in a game the odds for variance are higher yeah right and you know once in a while that'll cost you ferentz his entire strategy is to play one score games and it works really well against teams that have vast uh superior um, talent and or generally better teams. Yeah, but it Iowa also State. works terribly against like Western Michigan against the map, right? Because <laughs> you let them stay in the Michigan. game. You let them or stay in the game. North Dakota State or Whereas Iowa you, State. Yeah, if you played more, if you had more possessions, then your talent advantage would play out on the field with a bigger margin. But um, yeah. that doesn't necessarily happen. It's it's a, there's a similar concept in basketball. So. Interesting quirk in what Illinois is doing. They are participating in the Oahu Classic, and if you heard that, and you heard that Illinois was playing Hawaii, where would you think that game would be located? Oh, I would hope uh, in Honolulu. But, uh, it's in Poopwind. Uh, <laughs> nope, it's in, it, it is in Champaign on Monday. Uh, Man, poor Hawaii. They, like, yeah. They're never going to go back to the mainland again after going to Champaign. Yeah, that's all. Oh, I think Steve was telling me that this is like the farthest East Hawaii basketball has played in like 20 something years, which I, why would you? Why would you go anywhere other than the West Coast? Because it's already ridiculous travel. Um, like but, <laughs> much worse than Champagne in December. Uh, East Lansing in December. Yeah, <laughs> there's what. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> Because it, dude, it's and cold and windy. Yes, it's, gray. It's well, you know, sometimes it's windy, but it's mostly just gray. Um, and, oh no, in uh, in Champagne, it is windy and yeah. Well, I, hence and the nickname. Um, I don't know if the rest of the Midwest is like this or if it's just Michigan because of the lakes. But winter here is the most sunless place that I would ever want to conceive of. I mean it. Maybe one day out of five, the sun will break through the clouds. Uh, boy, well, but yeah, does, so, that just means it's going to be colder. True, I guess. But I, you know, I still like to look out my window as the sun's setting before I leave work and it's wave to the sun at least. But yeah, so Illinois is. Oh, you guys gonna say you get to see the sun? Occasionally, yeah. Well, I've, I work in a pretty tall building. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> So Illinois hosts Hawaii in the Wahoo Classic. And then once they go to Hawaii and start playing the game, uh, their first opponent, of course, again, just classic. When you think of Hawaii and tournaments in Hawaii, uh, you think of Division II Lindenwood. That's where they play in the first game of the Oahu Classic that's actually located in Hawaii. So great job. Uh, Division II opponent this late, I mean, this relatively far into the... And it's not Chaminade. I mean, 
it's it is a little perplexing. I don't know who exactly set up this event because if I remember right, there are a few other legit teams in this event. Let me look at the field here really quick. Because other than Illinois and Iowa, it's escaping me. But yeah, you it's it's unusual. I, it, you know what that makes me think is at some point they had some other school lined up and then they changed their minds. So oh man, all right. <laughs> other than other than Hawaii and Illinois, there's Cal State Bakersfield, uh, San Francisco, the Citadel, <laughs> Regent, which is also Division II, uh, Hampton, and Sam Houston State. So this kind of has the feel of... I, I don't know why Illinois is doing this. Um, they've... <laughs> one thing... Oh, wait. So they already play, they're playing the Citadel today. So some of these, this is another one of those kind of round robin things, but they at least go and play a couple rounds in the actual location. Yeah. Um, yeah, I assume I, maybe somebody in the athletic department saw a mailer from Hawaii and thought, oh, man, we got invited to Maui. Yeah, let's do this. And then they looked and I mean, you know, found out it's you know, the wrong one. Uh, but <laughs> other than that, I don't know what motivates you to play in this tournament. All right. So Maryland. They get a game with Temple, then they play either Texas A&M or Harvard. Um, all of those are high double-digit Ken Palm teams. Nobody who should be a serious threat to Maryland, but certainly more of a test than they've had to this point so far. That's a gradual increase. They're not getting quite the wake-up call that Indiana is. No, no, it's not going to be quite the jump into the freezing pond in January. Um Again, really shouldn't be an issue. We'll what I'm interested to see in this game is I can't imagine against you know more live opponents like this that they're going to continue to tinker with the specific devices the way they have. I would think these games are going to tell us what Maryland intends to be kind of their base setup this year, especially defensively, where they've made a lot of they've tried a lot of different things. So this these these games should tell us what Maryland is actually going to try to do. At least I would think so. I guess we'll see. All right, so three more tournaments to talk about, and then we're going to wrap up this marathon session we've had. These won't be as long in the future, by the way, listeners, um, especially once conference play starts and we just have fewer games to talk about. That would be very helpful. Um, <laughs> the last few are good ones, though, so if you've hung with us this far, we do appreciate it. The Emerald Coast Classic, Purdue, Starts off with VCU. That's a Ken Palm number 36. And then they also they have Florida State in their field. We mentioned them earlier, as well as Tennessee, both top 20 Ken Palm teams. So, you know, Purdue is number 10 in the Ken Palm, by the way, even with a couple of early season losses. So the Emerald Coast Classic is going to be one of your heavier hitting tournaments. I mean, we'll see if they like if they can get one of those big wins that will that'll assuage a lot of the early season fears that they've seen so far haven't really yeah. gotten one of those great wins yet they'll hopefully get one of the, they'll have the opportunity to get some decent wins here yeah i'm gonna take a look actually at the rest of Purdue's schedule because i i don't know that they've got a whole lot else going other than that in the rest of the non-conference um which have, again, like that indiana like the crossroads uh, classic thing yes yeah. they do uh and in that who do they play this year? I think they play Butler this year. I guess I could just look it up. Let's see here. 
Oh, yeah, Virginia. Da, da, da. Butler. Yes, they have Butler this year. Okay, that that was that popped out in my head somehow. I don't know why I remember that, but, um, but you know that said though, I don't think Butler was necessarily where they were when Brad Stevens was there. Uh, but yeah, as you mentioned, Virginia in the Big Ten ACC Challenge as well, which I forgot about. So uh, they've got quite the stretch coming up here. Um, I don't think there's any. I mean, the fortunate thing for Purdue from a big picture standpoint here is. Even if you have kind of a rough stretch here, if you take three losses in a row to VCU, um, Tennessee slash Florida State and Virginia, you roll into uh, into conference play with a home game against Northwestern and then a trip to Nebraska. So you'll have an opportunity to get right. Um, get off the schneid, and then they still have that non. They have a yeah non-con of Ohio, Central Michigan. Yeah, a trip to Ohio, no less. They're going. They're going to. Where is Ohio? It's not Athens. Uh, anyway. Uh, no, I think, it is, I think it is Athens. Yeah, because Miami is in Oxford. Okay, uh, I got them mixed up. Yeah, no, it is. It is Probably going to get angry letters from Mac Country, but so be it. Oh, we have, we have many listeners on this Big Ten basketball blog uh, concerned about, you know. <laughs> uh, we got a little bit of Becoming the all-time winningest Mac co- uh, coach in Mac history. Yeah, good thing Nebraska fired that guy because what would have ever become of them if he had stayed? They'd just be winning nine games every year, and that's just not acceptable, is it? Well, uh, <laughs> still Solich has 111 wins as, at, uh, at Miami since leaving Nebraska, and Nebraska has 120. <laughs> Total. So, Over three coaches. Yeah. No, four coaches now. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, look... That's, I mean, that's more than Mark Antonio has at Michigan State for a frame of reference. So uh, I don't know what else there is to say about that. Um, so, hey, that's a good segue to get back to Michigan State here. So they're playing in Maui again this year. First matchup is with Virginia Tech. Um, they then get either Georgia or Dayton. Of course, a game against Georgia would mean a reunion between Tom Izzo and his greatest adult, large adult son, Tom Creams. Um, oh, who is possessed yeah. of a high-powered recruit in uh, Edwards this year. So he's certainly got plenty of talent, but I wouldn't be concerned about either of those games so much as the possibility of meeting up with Kansas in the final and then going ahead and heading straight from the Maui game into the game with Duke. Uh, it's just like they could potentially in a row play Virginia Tech, Georgia, Kansas, Duke. Like, those are probably all going to be tournament, certainly all going to be tournament teams, I think. Um, it's just like, I know Wizzle likes to schedule difficult, but this feels like a little bit much. Not that he has control over the Big Ten ACC matchup, for example. Uh, but boy, if they, co- if they come out of this non conference with one or two losses, uh, watch out because they will have earned it. Um, and then the last thing, that honestly, the best tournament of the field is a battle for Atlantis. Um, they don't start until Wednesday, but all that means is that over the Thanksgiving holiday, you're going to be able to soak up a lot of these excellent matchups. Michigan, the participant here from the Big Ten, they get Iowa State first. Then they play either North Carolina or Alabama. And the rest of the field includes Seton Hall and Oregon and Gonzaga, also Southern Miss, but who cares? Um, it is an incredible field. And basically, regardless of how Michigan does, 
they're almost guaranteed it. They're guaranteed at least two excellent games, probably a third. Um, if they somehow end up facing Southern Miss, that's a little bit of a disappointment, but they'll still have gotten two excellent games out of it. An absolute that's smorgasbord. Also a really fun uh, tournament to watch because it looks like all the games are taking place in a ballroom. I was yes. played in the in that tournament a few years back in like the first one, but man, it's a good time. Yeah, so you have our viewing recommendations over Thanksgiving. Check out the Emerald Coast Classic if you can. Maui, if you have any spare time and make time to watch the battle for Atlantis. All right. It has been a marathon session. I'm probably gonna have to find a way to split this up. Stu, anything you want to say to the viewers out there in listener land? Fuck Wisconsin. Your source for big and it's off tackle empire.